All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening, for bringing us together this way as family. Thank you for this church, the spiritual gifts that keep it afloat, Father, by your power, by your grace, of course. Thank you for these messages as of late. Thank you for bringing us back to the basics. This is where it all started, Father. This is where it all is. We're so grateful for this time. As your servant Solomon said, there's a time and place for everything. What a moment this is, Father. We pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us this evening. And we pray for those that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for each one of us to enjoy. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. How's that? Can you hear me all right? All right, it's pretty bad. Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 66. On Sunday, the Spirit gave us all a friendly reminder concerning spiritual gifts given to the church. For example, the one on full display right now is the one functioning behind this pulpit. Is this a guaranteed blessing for the rest of our lives? Nope. Nope, it's not. Go to Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Is a night like this even a guaranteed blessing for the rest of our lives? The answer is emphatically no. There's no doubt in my mind. There's nothing in Holy Scripture that says that these kinds of blessings last forever. Ecclesiastes 3.1 I'm just praying that my voice lasts tonight. Ha <laughs> ha, that was a good one. You guys are duds tonight. What's going on? Aren't you glad to be here? Yeah, I don't, it don't look like it. Too late. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3.1 For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. So the point is, always remember that God's gifts aren't necessarily permanent. You have to remember that. And it... This is just a good example, a visual illustration for all of us this evening. But as the Spirit pointed out on Sunday, this goes for every gift, every blessing. Nothing is necessarily permanent. It could be, but how often is it ever, right? Um, so there's a whole host of things that could happen to me or this ministry or the church that could, you know, bring North Christian Church as we know it to a screeching halt. And to help 
us digest this truth. Last time we read from the book of Jonah. And we picked up with Jonah's story right after that point when God had relented regarding his wrath against Nineveh. Jonah took issue with this because the Ninevites were his enemy. And to boot, God used him personally to deliver them from wrath. So kind of like salt in the wound. What we see then is a perfect test of godliness and integrity. Just like Jesus taught up here on the board, Matthew 5, 43 to 44 reads, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it's a lot of like what Jesus taught. Um, that's exactly what was going on with Jonah. Did he love his enemies? Apparently not. He'd rather they be destroyed. He pouted over the fact that they repented and therefore God relented from his wrath. So as we review this passage, keep your eye on how God teaches Jonah an important lesson and how he's teaching us thousands of years later the very same lesson. Again, up here on the board, Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. And so that's how we can read the book of Jonah, you know, thousands, excuse me, thousands of years later, and still learn from it. Just because these events weren't about to we're about, um, we're about to read happened so many years ago doesn't mean we cannot learn from them. Go to uh, Jonah 3.10. Jonah 3, verse 10. <clears throat> Jonah 3, verse 10. Jonah 3.10 When God said, oh excuse me, when God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 4.1 But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew it. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Good question. We could ask ourselves that, couldn't we? Anytime we get, you know, pouty over something that is ridiculous, 
does it do us well to be angry? Who's the one losing sleep at night? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So God taught Jonah a good lesson on his grace and mercy that day. That its expression isn't necessarily permanent. He can do whatever he wants. He can give you shade one day and then destroy it the next. And even just bring in a a heat spell. Verse 9, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. In other words, by God's grace alone did any of that happen, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? In other words, where's your sense of perspective, Jonah? Honestly, and we're going to talk about this a lot this evening. Where's our sense of perspective Uh, when we're being dramatic like Jonah, right? When we're being self-absorbed, like Jonah, when we take things for granted, like Jonah, when we have this sense of entitlement, like Jonah, right? So why it's such a great story, short little story in the Bible, incredible lessons. God's grace blessings are designed to come and go. Read your Bible. His grace blessings are designed to come and go. Up here on the board, in terms of gratitude then, we must be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. There's no guarantee. Now, as I promised, just to grab a 360-degree perspective on this, let's turn the tables around for a moment. Right? Let's not be so self-absorbed about all of this. Let's consider the very real fact that you are very often a blessing for someone else. We always like to take that position, don't we? Oh, I can relate because it's me. You know, it's this direction. God wants us to turn the tables. Okay? 
Consider the very real fact that you are very often a blessing for someone else. That you might be called to be that person's shade that day. You might be a sense of relief for someone else that day. And God really, in truth be told, has called you to that thing. In other words, when God calls you to express His love towards others so that they might see the Lord through you, the objective is, as we've been learning, to obey. That's the objective, to obey. Go to James 2.15. James 2.15. So instead of considering yourself, instead of just relating to Jonah, maybe you could be or relate to the plant. Right? Maybe you're on the other side. Instead of you just being Jonah, maybe you're the grace blessing for a day. Maybe you're like the plant, and God has called you that way. James 2.15 If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? What good is lip service, in other words, when God's calling you to reveal His grace to someone else? The truth is that Jesus takes our grace expressions of love towards others quite personally, as it turns out. (laughs) He takes it quite personally. Our expression of his love towards others, he takes it quite personally. Go to Matthew 25.31. Matthew 25.31. Matthew 25:31 Ooh, thank God for this team, Monica. Oof. Matthew 25:31 <clears throat> When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty 
and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Again, Jesus takes what we do for others in his good name quite personally. The point is that we aren't to ponder what the Spirit's been saying lately about God's grace not being guaranteed. We're not supposed to take that from a receiver's perspective only. We're not supposed to take that from a receiver's perspective only. The proper way to think about these lessons is holistically. Just like I've been teaching you for years now. In the sphere of God, holistically, you think about grace from all sides. Just like, um, you know, more specific, when you think about um, authority orientation or leadership, you think about it from all sides. You know, you don't just think about it as the person in authority or the subordinate. You think about all sides. You don't just think about leadership before you think about followership. That's a word, following, right? The whole idea is to think about these lessons holistically, as in, we ought to consider the entire sphere of God when we think of His grace economy. So, to put this to practical use, to bring it home for all of you, in the context of the Spirit's recent emphasis on spiritual gifts in the church up here in the board, please consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. This is not the Ed Collins show. Never was meant to be. Never should be. I'm just a teacher. That's it. My job, I'm gifted in certain ways to be able to stand here as a shepherd and protect you and teach, teach you. And, you know, that's the pastor and teacher part of Ephesians 4.12. But beyond that, I mean, it's us. You know what I'm getting at? It's us. This is just the serial flow of grace. It comes from him through a gift that he's ordained by grace, and it goes to you. But are you supposed to dam it up? Nope. Nope. You are an extension of this ministry, a vital extension. While you have been called to this ministry that is led by this pastor, you cannot, you cannot be selfish about it. You cannot be selfish about it. Grace is meant to flow through you just like it's flowing through this vessel. Right now, it's flowing through me to you. It does not end with you. It's not to be held up in you like a dam. 
We see this very clearly. Go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11, we see it very clearly stated in Holy Scripture. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11 reads, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I just referred to that. Of course, I was off by one verse. It's verse 11, not 12. Verse 12, To equip the saints. Is that it? So you can go home and go to bed? No. For the work of ministry. Go ahead and take a pause while I take some of my tea over here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That means every one of you has a ministry. This is not the Ed Collins show. We're in this thing together. For the building up of the body of Christ. So we have to look at grace as fluid not just meant to be received. You see, as soon as it goes through us, you ready? As soon as it goes through us, if we take it this way, we're the receiver, right? As soon as it goes through us, it turns us around, and now we're the giver. And the next person in line is the receiver. And then they turn around, and they become the giver. That's the whole idea of grace. We don't just take it like this and then sit down with it. The whole idea is to turn around and have it go to someone else, have it overflow into someone else's lap. Up here on the board, Matthew 10, verse 8. Freely you receive, right? Freely give. Freely you received. God's grace is free. Last time I checked with those, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's, oh yeah. Freely received, freely give. That's the method. That's it. Let grace flow through you. So, when you think of this ministry, for as long as it exists in your life, and I can't tell you how long, you need to think of it in selfless terms selfless terms, not selfish terms, not selfish ones. You've got to think about this ministry and the very fact that you're a part of it in selfless terms, not selfish ones. And I, I really do hope this is making sense. I'll give you an analogy. Um, and don't confuse this with, uh, I think it's Romans 11. You need to think of it like a tree. Okay, um, how many leaves are on a tree come springtime? We're going to see pretty soon, right? Woo! A lot, right? Pretty. How many oranges grow on an orange tree? A lot. Well, consider Jesus like the root or the trunk and a pastor like myself one of his under-shepherds, like a branch. Where does that leave you? 
Well, you are the final leg. You are all the ones who collectively bear the most fruit. <laughs> right? There's a lot of leaves out there. There's a lot of oranges out there. You're the end of this journey. Of course, you could argue it keeps going. Of course, it does. But I'm trying to have you visualize how this works. It's a one-to-many, and it scales out this way, and it's beautiful. You all bear a lot more fruit than I do. So it can't be just the Ed Collins show. Do you know what I'm getting at? It can't stop there with you. I'm certainly not responsible for bearing all of the amazingly good fruit that you are all meant to bear. Here's another analogy to help drive this home. Suppose we all fly over to a third world country whose citizens are literally dying because their water supply is polluted. So every couple of days, a tanker airplane lands and we sort of shut up, set up shop near the runway. So the tanker airplane lands and unloads thousands of gallons of water into a large water tank near the airport runway. As soon as it's done unloading, it leaves. Suppose it's my job to fill up your five-gallon buckets with fresh water from the spigot on the side of this water tank. That's my job. And so you all line up to receive this fresh, life-giving water. And as part of the overall plan for disseminating water to this destitute land, you are responsible for giving five families each one gallon of fresh water. That's your job. What happens if you decide to keep the water for yourself? What happened to the overall plan to provide for others in need? Well, this is analogous to what the Spirit's been teaching us about this ministry. I'm the guy standing at the spigot, filling your five-gallon buckets. And don't you worry, I have my own five-gallon bucket after you're all done. But it's your job to take what you've been given to the masses. You all have your own ministries to tend to. Again, I truly hope you are getting this up here on the board. Please consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. With that said, changing gears a little bit, but not departing. Lately, if you've been paying attention, it's been back to basics for us. I love it. I love it so much. Love it. Back to basics. It's always a blast because it grounds us all over again. It's one of the reasons I like to read Genesis every so often. Because it's just the, it's the, it's the beginning. I mean, it starts off in the beginning, right? It's like... It's the beginning of the whole, of all of it. And 
if you read Genesis, it just, boom, brings you right back to ground zero. And that's what basics always do. So I've been really enjoying this. And like I said, it's absolutely necessary, as I've learned, to do this every so often. Why, though? Because we tend to get twisted. We tend to get twisted in our thinking because we tend to get familiar. Conclusion, we, come, we keep coming back to the gospel proper. We have to. We go out and we, you know, we graze on some different pasture for a while. We learn a little bit more about ourselves, a little bit more about this ancillary doctrine or this related doctrine or this thing over here. And eventually he says, okay, you've got to come back now. You've got to come back to home base. You've got to be here for a moment longer. Let's come back to basics. Remember, because if you don't come back to basics, you start meandering, right? And then next thing you know, you meander in such a degree where this doctrine gets perverted just a little bit, and you start building on it. And now this one gets perverted a little bit more. Now you're twice as bad, because now you've got this doctrine on top of this, this one on top of this one, and they both have slight perversions, and now all of a sudden you're veering off, you just keep building on bad doctrine that just takes you farther and farther away from the anchor of it all, which is the gospel. So you have to come back. You have to come back because we have a really bad habit of getting all twisted up. We get familiar with the gospel. The gospel is the root cause of all our ministries. We just learned we all have a ministry. Well, guess what? The gospel is the root cause of it. The gospel is the root cause of our ministries. It's why God leaves us here on earth after we're saved. It's not so you can party it up. Right? It's to spread the good news. To be a witness of God's grace, to God's grace, to share Jesus with the world, not just hoard him for yourself. You see, he wants us to be those bucket carriers of grace to those in need. It doesn't even matter, like in Jonah's case, if you like them or not. That is not the point. How likable were you before you were saved to God? Oh, there's a good question. You were awful. You stunk. You reeked. You were pathetic. Worthless. Dung. So go ahead. What do you think about that? God's grace. You're not perfect. So the chasm, I'm just going to go on a limb here. The chasm between you and that person that you don't like so much is really a lot smaller than you before you were saved and God. Right? So it doesn't matter if you like them or not or if you like the job you've been given. I don't like my job. Why does so-and-so get to, to take their bucket into the rich part of town 
and I got to go across the, the river to the bad side of town. Seriously? Consider it an honor. Maybe he's actually gifted you with a little bit more moxie or a little more tenacity. It's one of the reasons why I think, geez, why we, <laughs> I tried to get out of here, right? But he kept this ministry here in this state where nobody wants to talk about Jesus, where Jesus is like a swear word. Even though I tried to escape, I know, shame on me, right? Some of you are like, I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Why? Because I guess he needs people like us here. Tenacious people. Obviously not many. But enough. So he, he's using us to carry those buckets. And it shouldn't matter to where. How dare I complain? How dare I try to escape somewhere that God placed me to spread the gospel? What an insult. What an insult. So he leaves us here on earth after we're saved. And we all have ministries. And at the very core of it is the gospel. We all have a purpose here, so it's imperative that we never lose sight of it. Go to Hebrews 13.1. Hebrews 13.1. Don't you back down either. We're going to read this passage to establish something very important regarding the gospel. Hebrews 13.1. Hebrews 13.1, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And here's the verse that we're getting to. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. So, what does this mean in terms of the gospel? Well, for starters, 
always remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same today as it was in eternity past, before human history even began. Before human history even began, the gospel was the exact same then as it is now, and it has never changed, ever, not once. So when you keep this in mind, the Bible will make easy sense when you read it. However, if you let it escape you because you haven't, you know, resituated, gone back to the basics, you haven't resituated yourself with it in a while, well, all kinds of maladies and perversions can surface, just like the writer of Hebrews warned about in chapter 13. For example, the moment you lose sight of the fact that God's grace is designed to flow through you, as soon as you lose sight of that, you begin hoarding it for yourself. You begin hoarding it for yourself. You no longer help those in need. And you begin justifying your ungodly selfishness. You even become familiar with those who lead you spiritually. And that's when the wheels begin to fall off, to be frank. You end up like many seem to be nowadays. They say things like, I already know everything I need to know about God and Christ. I learned it when I was in my teens. You know the sort. What's the bad presupposition here? Well, for starters, this person apparently believes you can stockpile God's grace and then, you know, live off of it the rest of your life. Somehow, you know, get full knowledge <laughs> one time and then remain in that place for the rest of your life. You don't ever need to learn anymore. You learned everything there is to know. You sound like an eighth grader. There are a lot of... I've met people like this. Nope. I already got a religion. Nope. I already know about Jesus. No, I, need, I, I know everything I need to know about Jesus. Go away. Doesn't work like that. Even if they did meet the real Jesus, so to speak... It still doesn't work like that. This spiritual walk we've been called to is a daily endeavor, not a grab it all at once, store it up, and then live off the interest type deal. Doesn't work like that. That's a, I don't know how to explain that, but that's, you know what I'm. That's it's like just a, a hoarding type, you know, a banker type thinking where I'm just going to build up my bank account early on in life and then I can just retire and live off the interest. It doesn't work like that. That's not how God's economy works. God's grace is fluid and it pays dividends in your life when it passes through you into the laps of others. I'll say it again. 
God's grace is fluid. It pays dividends in your life when it passes through you into the laps of others with emphasis on through, not just to you, through you. That's maximum grace, maximum blessing for you in time. Grace passes through you. That's why at the start of this class, he made that point. It's not about you just receiving. You have to receive it and then become a giver. Think of a, you know, that, that grist mill wheel, right? You take it in over here and you kind of go that way. It's that. Let, the, let it go through. And the gospel is the primary example of this in our lives. God saves us and then leaves us here to spread the gospel to others. Something we aim to do daily. Does the gospel keep giving to you daily? Then we should keep giving it. If, if God keeps filling your cup with the gospel truth and, and that thing just keeps delivering day after day after day after day, it wakes you up in the morning, it gets you jazzed up, it inspires you each and every day, that's called a gift. You should let that pass through you. That's how grace works. This is not a, thanks God, you know, I'll see you in heaven, bye for now type scenario. This is, hey soldier, you've been enlisted into my army, pick up your gear and let's march on. So the gospel and God's grace are intrinsically tied this way. And as we just noted, since Jesus never changes, guess what? The gospel has never budged either. Not even once. So I was thinking about that. We might call all of this, you know, the first, what, 45 minutes of class. And I'm just so grateful my voice is held up. But we might call all of this type thinking uh, as a mindset that begins with and is anchored by the immutable gospel of Jesus Christ. Immutable just fancy for it never changes, right? We think about all of this as a mindset that begins with and is anchored by the immutable gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, he is our rock. And you just agreed with me that that gospel truth keeps on giving to you every single day. Because we are saved, how often? Daily. And that's a gift. And He saved you today and gave you that privilege of sharing the gospel. And you don't have to be in everybody's face with a microphone like they do on YouTube nowadays, right? Do you believe in the gospel? Why not? You know, and then they make millions of dollars off of advertising and stuff like that, but whatever. You can do it just by living. You follow? You can, you can be a witness to Christ. You can become interesting. Remember, I don't know, four or five months ago, that they might see the Lord in you. How else will they see the Lord if you don't 
bear fruit on the ends of that tree. If you just hold it for yourself, you take it from a, a willing servant like myself and then you just clutch it for yourself like this and go, I'm not, give, I'm not bearing any fruit for anybody else. I'm just going to stay facing this way. I'm just going to make my arms wider and wider so I can gather unto myself more and more of this grace. But I'm never going to turn around and spill it into the laps of others. So we have this mindset that begins with and is anchored by the immutable gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in opposition to that, worldly wisdom tempts the churches to teach that the grace of God has changed over time. And that would imply, since Jesus is the very fullness of grace and truth, that Jesus has changed over time. And we just read that he never has changed, not once, nor has his gospel. But the worldly wisdom will tell you, and even tempts churches, to teach that the grace of God has changed over time, that the gospel has changed. Opponents will argue that it must have been different since Jews are under you know, a so-called different dispensation or an economy than, say, the Gentiles. But the truth is that only the context, only the context of Jewish life was different. The gospel has always been the same. Always Here's an excerpt. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.20. Here's what Paul had to say as he was defending the gospel in context, of course. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Again, we're just establishing the immutable gospel of Jesus Christ the very centerpiece of our personal ministries, God forbid we allow that thing to be corrupted because then our ministries would be corrupted. 1 Corinthians 1.20, <clears throat> where is the wise, or excuse me, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. And that implies different contextual defenses or confirmations of the gospel. But always the same gospel. Right? Different context. Jews were... Demanding signs. Greeks sought wisdom. So the challenges were different. The defenses were different. You know, if you're a defense lawyer, you don't build every defense the exact same way. You wouldn't even defend uh, a client that's, on, that's probably falling under the same broken law the same way. It would depend on the context of a circumstance. 
It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. The context is different, but it's always been the same gospel. Verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Again, the gospel has never changed. Not even one iota. For that matter, nor has God's grace economy. God's grace is God's grace. We're not supposed to hold on to it. We're supposed to Share it. Go to James 1.16. James 1. I think I'm going to stop here, guys. Maybe about nine minutes shy of the hour, but it feels like my throat's on fire. Just take this with you over the weekend. Remember that you have, and you are a vital extension of this ministry. Think about what God's been saying to you personally this evening. You're not here to just a hoard unto yourselves. You're here to let grace pass through you. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow do to change. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this wisdom, your wisdom this evening. Thank you for bringing us back to the basics, Father. Thank you for reminding us of why we're here. Thank you for giving us clarity and encouraging us to remain steadfast in that thing that never has changed the gospel of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we hold fast to anything, Father, let it be that. Let us tend to that. Let that be our purpose. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.